Welcome to another episode of the Christian Combatives Podcast. I'm once again joined by my father here. We're going to be talking today about theosis, um, antinomianism, and Catholic guilt, and whatever else comes up, I suppose. So, kind of as, as, as a preface, um, the reason these topics came up, I, I recently saw a presentation by Dr. Jordan, Dr. Jordan Cooper. One of his big things is about Lutheran theosis. He reads a lot of stuff about the church fathers and one of the conclusions he came to is that there's a lot of talk about this concept of theosis, uh, even including Luther. Luther used the language a lot. So in particular, this, this presentation was basically, why did, why did we as a church, Lutheran church, a modern Lutheran church, stop using the language of theosis? And theosis is often a term that's used with Eastern Orthodox, not exclusively, but the Eastern Orthodox use it. And it's kind of a term that means, well, theo, theos means God. So it's Becoming like God, or becoming, well, Luther talks about it as becoming little Christs, becoming little, uh, little Christs. Um, and there's, there's a good way to look at it, a way that's kind of biblical, and there are more than one bad ways to look at it. Uh, and I think the clearest example of a bad way to look at theosis is, is Mormonism, and Mormonism's kind of uh, perspective on, well, this is what happens if, if you, you achieve godhood. You become you become a god just like Jesus and the devil, you know, as, as their brothers uh, <laughs> in, in that religion. Um, you become a god like that. You get your own little planet and stuff to control. So that's not what some of Dr. Jordan Cooper was talking about in terms of this is what we should believe, but this is how some people take theosis. Uh, and it's in, I, I think it, it, so we don't lose that thought with regard to Mormonism, the the idea of becoming a god is contingent upon your works so that as you um as you constantly get better at doing your part um then then that avenue remains open to you as long as you do all as long as you meet all the other requirements the sacramental requirements yeah Uh, but it's it is definitely coming back to a dependence on what you do, which is which is a huge hole in the theology of Mormonism. That everything depends on what they do. They talk about um, they do the best that they can. Their idea of salvation is that they do the best that they can, and then Christ takes over where where they can't do anymore. And the problem they have with, and I was talking about this with you earlier, was this doubt, you know, uh, of, well, have I done enough? They never know. And, and that's the problem <laughs> with that kind of thinking is when you have um, syncretism, yeah. you know, where, where, where you are cooperating with God and, and you are helping him with his work, uh, how much is enough? And you, so there... There's no assurance in that in that theology, and that's a beauty uh, that we have in understanding unmerited grace. Yeah, the question of, let's say I do 40, so if it's a 50-50 responsibility, me and the Holy Spirit, if I only do 49% of what, what I'm required, the Holy Spirit's not going to do 51%, and I haven't done everything that I could. So I have to, I have to doubt. Um, there's, a, there's a Lutheran satire video out there. That I think it's something along the lines of like, Donald and Connell convince Mormon missionaries that they're going to hell in like 37 seconds or something. 
And the idea, so what did they do is they quote uh, first or second Nephi or something like that. There's this passage that basically says that uh, basically Jesus Christ saves us after we've done all we can. Yeah. So after all we can do, yeah. then then Jesus kind of then God steps in and saves. The uh, Jesus is Jesus God. That's a different question for them. But so so basically, um, I, I think uh, Donald kind of posed this question to say, which is which is more holy to pray or to go to the movies? Pray. Have you ever gone to the movies? Yes. So therefore, you haven't done everything you possibly can. Therefore, you're going to hell. <laughs> and uh, uh, and I want to and I, we shouldn't just pick on the Mormons because this is rampant throughout uh, American um, uh, evangelicalism. This idea of they would they would they wouldn't use the word theosis. They would say, um, well, and, and I don't think they would use the word sanctif sanctification either, but that's kind of what they're trying to explain it as. As I move forward in my Christian walk, uh, my goal is to get better and better and better and uh -huh. become more and more like God as, as, as I go along. The, the problem is, again, it keeps the, the dependence upon us is the problem we have. And, and not understanding what informs and manifests our sanctification. Yeah. Or rather, who? Is it us or is it God? And if, if we re keep returning to it's God, that's going to help us out of a lot of these, these corners and holes. Yeah, the um, I, I'm thinking of the... Uh... Sort of evangelical, sort of reformed Baptist kind of groups. There's there's some groups out there, and their idea is um, this concept of a fruit check. Now, if you've heard the fruit check, the the idea that the Bible tells you to you'll know them by their fruits. You know, do, do thorns produce good fruit? Do you know does good fruit produce thistles? That kind of thing. But the idea, the, the verse that they take out of context, if you actually read the context of the verse, is talking about false prophets, false teachers. That you should know the false teacher. Because I mean, uh, who is that guy who, who who blew away COVID? And, uh, COVID, I blow you away. Uh, is it Kenneth Copeland? I think it might be. Oh, I don't know. I didn't hear this. Okay. Oh, he's a yeah, real nutter, um, a heretic. And I mean, and he's constantly going on about how he has to buy more jets and more stuff like this. And he's, I mean, the guy's an obvious heretic. But this is one of those cases where you can see the fruit, uh, fruit of what he's doing and how he lives compared to his claim uh, to be a Christian teacher. But these people misunderstand this verse and they say, well, this is God telling us that we need to look at our own works for assurance of salvation. Therefore, if my sanctification has not pro progressed, if I am continuing in repeated, even addicted or habitual sin, then that means that I am not bearing fruit, which means I am not alive in the faith, which means I am not saved. So my salvation is based on, they wouldn't say that their salvation is based on the works, but their confidence in their salvation is based on their ability to resist sin. And it's, it's the same thing that you were talking about. But ultimately, what that is, is you're finding the root. The root is not Christ in that. The root is not your baptism. The root is not the death of Christ on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. The root in that is themselves. They're saying, well, my fruit is based on the healthiness of my tree, and my tree is who is my life, my walk, that kind of thing. And this was kind of the contrast that Dr. Cooper was was presenting with the idea of, of Lutheran theosis. And he, and he referred to it, I think he referred to it as a, the mystical exchange or something like that, but he also referred to it as uh, Christification, becoming more, more Christ-like. And there, there is some biblical language behind it. And as Lutherans, I think we properly understand it in terms of sanctification. Sanctification isn't the same 
necessarily as theosis, but it's, it's like a 95% overlap. So instead of looking at your own tree and saying, why, what kind of fruit am I bearing? You would look at something like Jesus says, I'm the vine. You are the branches. Well, the branches get the nutrients from, from the vine. So it's the health of the vine that they can count on. It's the health of, you know, if their assurance uh, comes from this, from the death and resurrection of Christ, not from their own ability to produce fruit, you know, without a root, without a vine to be connected to. Yeah, I'm thinking, trying to think if there is anywhere in the Bible that says you know, you'll know that they're Christians by their fruit. No, you. Jesus says you'll know them because they love each other. That's right. And that's not really a. It's it's not talking about works there. It's talking about a manifestation of, of agape that is flowing through them that comes from God. And, and, and if we think of fruit that way, mm-hmm. um, I mean, if you look at your life and you don't see any fruit, ought you to be worried? Um, are you... Is The question then becomes not are you producing what you're supposed to produce, but rather, are you getting in the way of what God is trying to work in you? But in Ephesians, everybody knows 2, 8, and 9, um, but it's, it's important to listen to go on to 2, 10, um, to, that, that he, he makes you holy. Let's see, what is Ephesians 2, 8? Oh, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It mm-hmm. is the gift of God. That's, you know, faith gift. Yep. Uh, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Then he goes on to 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So right there, Paul is telling you that that the good works that we do are God's works. Right. And he's just prepared us to walk in them. He he brings us to the point where we can walk in them. So, so yeah, you want to be careful about this this idea of, of identifying who's a Christian, who isn't, by works, um, but yeah, as if the, they're, they're they're the Christians' works, they're at, not. Yeah, at the same time, I mean, there is there is an expectation that you will have the good works will follow salvation, which I think I mean that's what Romans two that's eight, the promise eight nine and ten actually talks about because it says you know well you're saved your salvation is not by your works, but after it talks about you know you're saved by grace through faith that, that kind of thing. Then it goes on to say, well, you know, you made a new creation and that you are made to do, you were made to do good works. That's something that should, uh, that God prepared you. That God prepared, yeah, for you. He's, he's, he's got you already. All he has to do is pour the works through you. (laughs) Yeah. I think about the, uh, the parable of the, the parable of the sower. Um, and I think about the, you know, the, the, the seed is, the seed is faith that grows in the heart and the heart is the different types of soil and stuff like that. And you have these examples of, um, of uh, the the thorny soil, and the seed is alive. It grows. The faith is alive, and the faith is choked by the by the cares and the concerns of this world, the pleasures of the, of this life. Uh, so it does not mature. And uh, I talked with one of our pastors, and he says, "Well, this doesn't necessarily mean that the plant dies, the faith dies, but this does mean that uh, it's prevented from bearing fruit." Now, the plant is alive, the faith is alive, but the faith, you know, it, it, it doesn't bear fruit. So in, in some respect, you can be a Christian and not yet have ripe 
fruit, not yet have visible good yeah, works. Yeah, maybe not visible to you or visible to somebody else, but God knows. Right. Yeah. So, and, and he knows, and you know, you may not be laden with, you know, fully grown apples, but the fruit exists before it's ripe and it's growing for a while before it gets to that stage. Now, if you're going decades and decades, you're a fig tree that never produces figs. <laughs> Watch out. Don't get cursed. <laughs> yeah. Don't get cursed. <laughs> yeah. So, so there, I mean, there, there is something. So if, if you were looking at your own works, you shouldn't look at your own works to see this as confidence of your salvation. But at the same time, you should expect you, there are things that you can do in your life that prevent, prevent your fruit from maturing. You can, you can bring so many distractions, Spanish word for entertainment, the divertido diversions, diversion, diversion, diversion. Yeah, diversions. You can bring so many diversions into your life that it crowds out the 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 tasks that God has set. You, for you know what the English for that is? It's detour. Detour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, if you're so busy, if you're so busy enjoying enjoying life, that you don't have time to love one another. You may you may be a Christian, but you know God has called you. God has made you for the purpose of loving Him and loving one another. So, yeah, I think it's like you said, you know, where do we go for assurance? If, if if we're talking about assurance of faith, where do we go? We can't look at ourselves. We can't. Right. Um, but we have Christ to look at. And the resurrection guarantees that everything that he promised is true. Mm-hmm. So so that's where we go. Did what did God say? And what did Jesus say? If you know, if if you if you if you trust in me, you will be saved. So in so many places and in so many ways, um, do you believe that Jesus has uh, the power to take away your sins? You know, it's, it's the question that we ask our catechumens. Yeah. Do you do you want uh, do you do you want your sins taken away? That's it's kind of easy stuff. If 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 you answer those questions in the negative, then 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 it's the, the law still needs to work on you. <laughs> no, I don't want my sins taken. I want to. I don't wallow in my sins. Oh, yeah. I, I think the other thing too to remember when when we make reference to the parable of the sower. I a lot of people miss a part of that message. If if you look at it, all all of that ground that that the seed is so. Uh, frivolously dispersed upon, and you could call it the parable of of the prodigal sower, you know, <laughs> who 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 spends spends his seed uh, with abandon, like no farmer in his right mind would. Uh, is part of the message is that God can make fruit appear out of any soil. Mm-hmm. It's. So it, on one level, listening to that parable, we might despair like the apostles despaired at, at the parable of, of the uh, camel passing through the eye of the needle and the rich man get, not being able to get into heaven. And well, then who can be saved? Yeah. With man, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. That's what we have to remember. That's, that's, that's an underlying message in so many of Jesus' parables. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, that's. I, I I think I don't remember last year, maybe the year before, where I had the parable of the sower come up. Um, 
point in the text and looking at the text, uh, I said that the wrong way to read this parable is, is to say, well, what kind of soil am I and how can I improve my soil? But you're not. The only person who can improve the soil is, is the farmer. Because last year I talked, I don't remember what I talked about, but um, so, somebody brought up uh, an additional point. They, you know, they said to me, they said, you know, you said that God, God is the sower who works the soil. Now the process of breaking up rocks and ripping out weeds from the soil can be a difficult and painful one to endure for the soil. I mean, you know, obviously the soil doesn't feel anything, but this concept of, well, I mean, that's what a, a shovel or a hoe or a, a rake, this is doing violence to the soil for its own good, mm -hmm. making it, making it more, more fertile. Um, so in this concept, so to, to circle back to the, uh, the, the crucifixion, this concept of theosis, this concept of God, let's say, make he can he can plant faith in any type of soil and makes the soil makes the soil more capable of bearing more fruit. That's what I said right there. <laughs> um, yeah, so it, 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 in that sense, um, it's conformity. Theosis, properly understood in the biblical sense, in the Lutheran sense, and I repeat myself, is is God conforming us to, to be like him? And to a degree, we already are. We are made in the image of God. Um, one, of the, one of the examples that, that, that Dr. Cooper and I talked about was this, um, was this example of Moses going up on the mountain. And Moses goes up on the mountain, and he's in the presence of God for a period of time. And when he comes down the mountain, he's reflecting the glory of God. He's absorbed the glory of God. I think of like those, uh, those pieces of plastic, those like Technic or whatever those toys were that you would build spaceships out of. And there's these little pale green pieces of plastic that glow in the dark or the stars you stick on the ceiling of a room. You, they're specifically made to absorb light and then to reflect it. And, and I think that part of that is, you know, God intentionally made us to absorb and to reflect his glory, to absorb and reflect his behavior, his love, you know, these aspects of us. So it's not like God is making us I mean, he's making us into a new creation, but it's not as though God is making us something he never intended us to be. We were always intended to be reflectors of the glory of God. But, you know, that, that tarnish, that filth of sin has covered it and made us less capable of reflecting his glory. So the concept of, of theosis, sanctification, becoming more, it, it, it is becoming more cleaned off. More of that filth is cleaned off so we can shine God's glory more. Yeah, and who does that? Yeah, and who does that? And how does he do that? And I would say Jesus and baptism, <laughs> God and baptism. Well, but. and and the Word. Yeah. So so if if Water like Lord, you yeah. said, we can do a lot to get in the way of God working in us. Oh and, yeah. And as long as we're broken in sin, we will we'll find ways to do that. Yeah, and ultimately we won't be perfectly, um, perfectly perfectly capable of. Like a, like a mirror that somehow stores energy reflecting the glory of God um, until, until we get to heaven. Of course, the other downside to that is Moses' face only glowed for a period of time, and the, the, the glory diminished over, over time. But had Moses remained in the presence of God, that glory would never have diminished. I mean, there's only so— And the people would never have— yeah, heard God's that, word. Yeah, yeah, that's that's Jesus the, mentions that on the mountain of transformation. <laughs> yeah, if he had, if he had stayed up there, uh, Cooper mentioned. Uh, he, he, I mean, I don't know if he was quoting somebody or or what, but he was referring to. He says, "Well, you know, Adam was in the in the garden with God, and presumably he was in the presence of God so much that he was just glowing constantly, and he wasn't tarnished by sin. 
So it would have taken longer for that glory to diminish if it would have diminished at all. Uh, so it's interesting to think about Adam glowing even more than Moses did. Well, it took him a millennium to die. So yeah, well, and that's yeah, that's another aspect. I mean, if God is immortal, this kind of diminished, diminished glory that humans made in His image reflect. I mean, it takes a while for that to wear off. But of course, you know, there's the point where God says, "The age of man shall be 120 years." Or whatever. Well, I have a question. Yeah. Um, as as we look at how some people see sanctification they apply a measure to it and they expect that over time the measurement will increase can you measure the holiness of god as he touches humans is it measurable is i mean rule? i would, I would that's that's difficult because i'm going back to this analogy of kind of bearing fruit and the fruit isn't you never know how much fruit is ultimately there until the harvest um you could have a, a a tree where a bunch of fruit matures all at the same time but you won't know you know or you could have a tree where mature where fruit matures quickly but only one or two pieces at a time i mean i'm not sure i'm not a botanist but... well take this as 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 a jumping board jesus says to whom to who has little, to as much much shall be required. Much shall be required. Yeah. To as little little shall be required. Yeah. And he talks about the, the there's the the one the five other oh, talents or whatever the talents yeah. Yeah, the different talents. So if we were to to measure, okay, well the guy that had a little, he's not as holy as the guy that had a lot. <laughs> Let's apply that to us. Mm -hmm. um, is somehow. Paul, who had so much that he was given authority in the flesh to keep him humble, is he more holy than you or me or any other Christian? More holy? What does holy mean? Mm -hmm. It means it. it oh, well, yeah. Set apart, or or am I thinking? Okay? Yeah, it's it's it means Christ-like. It right. means God. It means in the image of God. It's it, is it something that can really be measured, or is it just is it something that God gives to us? God says you're holy. You're holy. Um, in terms of of getting uh, of of being holy or not being holy, it's it's either it's binary. Or. Yeah, it's either or. You know, there there is talk that in heaven, you know, some there there will be more honor for some than others. right there there's but some accounting for works soaring up for heaven those traditions. yeah but but is Mom, that holy or is holy blessed by god yeah no i mean that's 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 a good point and if holy is blessed by god then there's nothing that you can do to increase increase your own holiness it's coming back to god well yeah i mean you can sure surely dishonor yourself but you're just rejecting the gift that's given to you, you there's nothing you can do to say i'm going to make myself more holy it's this idea of like training training your i don't want to say training your gifts of god but i saw something about speaking in tongues or whatever and speaking in tongues is one of the one of the one of the spiritual gifts or whatever well if god is the one who's giving these gifts then you can't train yourself to have one unless it's been given to you. You can't train yourself to have faith if you don't have faith given to you in the first place. But yeah. No, that's uh 
I think I mean that's a binary that we definitely have we have to keep we have to keep in, in our mind. And you know, this the sermon I did this last Sunday on John eight, just Jesus, fiery, fiery speech. <laughs> and he's referring to I mean he if you read the context of the uh, of the, the chapter, he's referring to he's contrasting believers and unbelievers. He's saying, you know, if you're a believer, then you're sons of sons of Abraham, you're followers of the religion of Abraham, you're sons of God. If you are an unbeliever, then you are sons of your father the devil. And he says basically the way he puts it is there's a binary. Either you're given faith, either you're saved, either you believe, or you're out. There is no almost Christian and there is no agnostic. There's just, you know, whose camp are you in? Are you are you for the Lord or against him? There is no neutral uh, Switzerland stance in this in this. Well, and, and it's using his own words is is great in, in John chapter eight. Is mm -hmm. um whose child are you? Yeah. Are you a child of God? Is that that's not something that's that's measurable. It's it's something that is or isn't. Yeah, which one of your children is more yeah. you know, more your <laughs> which yeah. one? Yeah, which one of your, your well, obviously it's me. I'm more your child than that. <laughs> well, no, and okay, so and I'll, and, I'll, and I'll take this extension even further because uh, in the sense of, so Jesus is, is dealing in John chapter 8, he's dealing with the descendants of Abraham, the, the literal bloodline descendants of Abraham. And, you know, later or on. knuckleheads. Right, well, yeah. <laughs> and, but I mean, he talks about, you know, salvation comes first to the Jew and then the Gentile and stuff. So if you want to say that the Gentiles are adopted children of God, whereas the Jews are bloodline descendants of God, which I would take, I mean, I don't think that that's right. But if you want to say that God worked first to the Jews and then the Gentiles, and the G Gentiles are more, more adopted, whereas, you know, the others are more descendant. It's it, the, the, the ideal concept of if you have children and some of your children are adopted and some of the, your children are biologically yours, um, ideally, they're both your children just as much. They're both just as much your children. Now, obviously, you know, us sinful people would struggle with that sort of thing and may, maybe, you know, prefer one child over another. But the, the concept of adoption is that you become you become a child of God. You don't become a half child. You don't become a stepchild. You become a full, full honors, full inheritance child of God. And it's accessed through faith. That's the whole mm -hmm. point of that that section in John chapter eight. Oh yeah, Jesus yeah. marvels at that at the centurions. Oh, oh I'm sorry, I'm, I'm thinking of something else. Yeah, yeah. um, uh, that's that's the Matthew one, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's, you know, what is it that makes you a child of God? It is not having the blood of Abraham. Mm -hmm. It's it's not no, the, you, the yeah. name of, of your denomination over, over the sign in your church. Mm -hmm. It's faith. Well, what we're discussing is basically, I mean, this is the concept of, of theosis. You become more God-like, more Christ-like through the adoption and then through, through, through sanctification. And we're having this discussion about well, once he had once he had given his presentation, uh, there was time for questions, and somebody asked a question about uh, antinomianism. Um, are you familiar with that term, or yeah? So, so antinomianism, and and this is, and at first it just seemed like okay, well, well you know, why are we asking about antinomianism? But there is a That's there is a relation that we kind of charge against Lutheranism. Yeah, by, well, by the, the, as a quick definition, anti meaning not, and then nomos. Uh, nomianism, meaning the law. This means there is no law. So basically, think Romans chapter six. Kind of. Well, Romans chapter six says, you know, if if, if we're forgiven when we sin, then we better sin more, so we get so grace may abound. Uh, and then, of course, Paul says, absolutely not. Heaven forbid. 
Um, but uh, it's what what what's interesting is 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 I don't want to say recently, but I don't know, somewhat recently. I guess it's a pattern that happens is that people will look at law and gospel preaching, and they'll say, you know, there's if you ask Doctor Scary, he'll say there's three uses of the law. Uh, there's the the curb. Well, Luther Luther should say that too. There's the curb, the guide, or the, the curb, the mirror, and the guide. Uh, the curb prevents unbelievers from veering off into mass murder and pillaging. Uh, the mirror shows us our sin, um, and then the guide only applies to, to Christians. This is as Christians. This is how we sanctification. should sanctification. This is this is how how we should live. But there's there's a kind of movement that that wants to say, well, you know, Pastor, in your sermon you had law. You called people to repentance. Then you had gospel. You said Jesus died on the cross for your sins. You should not have law after that point, and you shouldn't be telling Christians that they need to go and do some law. For example, a Christian has an obligation to support the church. A Christian has an obligation to pay their pastor and their organist, and you know the worker deserves his wages. Um, uh, you know the Christian has the obligation to respect his government, Romans thirteen, and uh, the fourth commandment. Um, there are obligations that Christians have, even having been saved. And that was the argument, that was the accusation of the Roman Catholics against, against the Lutherans, is they said, well, if you say that works aren't required for salvation, then you're basically telling people that there is no law, anti-nomos, antinomian. Um, and so there's, there's been different kind of groups of antinomians over time. And, and the concern, I guess, is you know, people are, 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 are worried that you know, Christians are being told told what to do. Christians shouldn't be told what to do. Christians should be told that Jesus died on the cross for their sins, and you shouldn't burden them with all this with all this guilt, which is why I, I thought it might be interesting to talk, to contrast antinomianism, uh, the belief that, you know, we shouldn't be listening to this law, to the Catholic, Catholic guilt. Is this, I guess it's a name well, antinomianism brand. is is the accusation right. that, that preaching law and gospel is, is gutting the law. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. There's there's nobody that I know of that no... openly wants to be in an antinomia. <laughs> uh, other other than non Christians. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. You know, there's no law but my own. Okay, yeah, or there's no law. Period. But yeah, I mean, it's kind of there's a. I see it as kind of a tight tightrope, and you don't want to fall off one side or the other. On one side, antinomianism, this belief. Well, um, I don't really have to follow God's laws. I'm saved, so why does it matter what I do with my free time, with my life, with my finances, that kind of thing? Um, on the other hand, on the other side of the tightrope, you fall into to legalism. This concept that, you know, um, well, I, I sinned and my salvation is at stake, and I can't trust God's forgiveness because, you know, I didn't do enough Hail Marys or whatever. I think Luther addressed it well. Um, he asked his students when they when they struggled with with uh, um, the concept of grace, because because remember they're coming out of they're coming out of centuries of of Roman Catholic um, work theology, and, uh, and got to be careful when you say that, but that's that's well that, that, how we that, define it. Yeah. Um, and and he and he expressed that sanctification is not you working for your salvation it's you it's it's what you now because you are fundamentally changed because you've been born again because you have this new spirit that conforms to 
to the spirit of Christ, you have new desires. Mm -hmm. So as you have desires, the law becomes the guide to, to, to fulfill your new desire. Rather than desiring sin, now you desire to please your father. Now you desire to do things that, that, that show agape to your, your, your neighbor. Well, this is, yeah, I, I'm trying to remember the name of the document. It's either what sh- it's something like, what should we make of the Ten Commandments or what should we make of Moses or something like that? I don't know if you're familiar with this document. Mm-hmm. It's basically, he's, a, he's specifically addressing, I mean, he does address this, um, this objection multiple times, but he's addressing this thing. He's saying, well, okay, um, if God is, is, if Christ has fulfilled the Ten Commandments, then what do we need him for? And his explanation, and you see this come out in the small catechism, is the Ten Commandments don't just serve to tell you, don't do this or you go to hell, although that's how they were delivered. But they also serve to say, this is how you can love your neighbor, or this is how you can love God, one, two, and three, and then this is how you can love your neighbor, seven through ten or whatever. Um, so, and this is why if you, read the, if you read the small catechism explanations, the, what does this mean about each commandment, um, so, you know, thou shalt not steal, you know, you shouldn't, you shouldn't take your neighbor's possession and get it in any dishonest way, but, but help him to protect and keep it. So there's an aspect of don't do this, but do this instead. Uh, do not commit adultery, but on the other hand, a husband and wife should love, cherish, and honor each other. Don't, uh, don't murder, but look out for the well-being of, of, of other people. Um, so it's, it's, it's still a law. It's still something that we need to be forgiven for when we break it. But the law doesn't just, it doesn't just condemn. So what is that? Lex Semper Accusat. Is it Lex? Yeah. Yeah, Lex Semper Accusat. Law always condemns. And again, this is, I think Scare had a a presentation or a paper on it. He says, Lex Semper Accusat dot, 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 really? (laughs) And his... David, Dr. David Scare, um, his his argument was was basically along the same lines of what Luther was saying. He's saying, um, yes, the law can accuse, as a mirror does. It shows us our sin, but the law can also inform. Yeah, you know, it, you find out one day, you you smack your 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 forehead with mm. your hand, and you, and you find out, whoa, I'm a Christian. Yeah, what does a Christian look like? Yeah, well, and that's not something that necessarily comes to you naturally. That that could yeah. be something where you need information because, um, and I'm not going to get into details, so this episode doesn't get banned from the airwaves. But there are Christians who think that okay, if I want to love my neighbor, then I should let me phrase this, then I should allow them to do what they feel in their heart they want to do. <laughs> laughing that I should allow them to to be who they want to be I should stay out of their way because and I mean it comes back to you know uh, the golden rule do unto others as you would have them do unto you I, I would have others let me do whatever I want to therefore I'm going to let others do whatever whatever they want to that's that's loving but that's not the Christian love that's not the love that God prescribes that's our attempt at kind of defining love so we do need we do need Laws that say, look, husbands and wives love and honor each other. Um, uh, you know, protect others. Protect the lives of the unborn, for example. That's, that's a big one. Well, you know, it's loving to let people 
do what they feel is right with their own bodies and even their own families. Okay, yeah, that's naturally what we feel is loving, but the law of the fifth commandment informs us that human life is precious uh, and that it is a sin to murder, even if murder can be seen as beneficial for the individual or the society. So, yeah. And there's another side benefit, too, um, to the law. It, while it can never save you, mm -hmm. it can never usher you into the presence of God, um, what it can do, if you pay attention to it and subscribe to it, is make your life easier here. <laughs> if, if, you, if you decide to defy authority and you get pulled over by a cop, you have probably a lot less chance of, of not getting a ticket than if you're polite and <laughs> yeah, deferential. You know, is that what Luther says, that, or the, the honor, honor your father and mother is, Luther doesn't say, the Bible says this, honor your father and mother is the first commandment with the promise. Yeah, that it, that it may go well with you and that you it may, may live yeah. long and prosper on the earth. <laughs> your parents yeah. don't get tired. And it's, it's a commandment all about respecting authority. Right, right. And yeah, this is, I mean, and then Romans 13, I think about it's kind of the extension of the fourth commandment as well. It's just honoring the government that God placed in front of you because, I mean, in theory, it, it, I mean, it talks about the ideal government. The government should not seek injustice in theory. Uh, now, there are unju unjust, unjust governments, but um, the, concept, the concept remains is, is, is you know, it, it is beneficial. It can, there are actual tangible benefits to having a society where theft and murder and fidelity and marriage are the constant. Societies do thrive when when there's even if they're even if they're full of pagan, heathen, whatever secularists. If 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 they're acting, you know, if their ethics are based on the morals of the Ten Commandments, for example, on the morals of of the Bible, the society will be better off than a society that's. You know, structured around the subjective morality of the individual, and, which know. is more and more happening in the world. Yeah, and as a, as a result of this, we're seeing consequences of this of this being acted out uh, everywhere we look. There's, you know, people are deciding for themselves. Everybody seeks in their own what they feel is right in their own eyes. They do what mm -hmm. they feel is right in their own eyes, um, and it's yeah, it's it's miserable. It hurts. It hurts a lot of people. It hurts the people who think that they're loving. It hurts the people who think that you know they're doing what they want to do, um, and obviously there's the, the the eternal consequences as well. But you know that's that's the world that God prepared us prepared us to live in. When I think about sanctification, I am concerned when I hear it paired with the word progressive, progressive sanctification. Well, I am concerned about it being progressive, but. <laughs> But the idea that, that you can get better, you know, this whole idea of being able to measure it. Um, I think sanctification can be more aptly tied to baptism in the way that Luther talks about baptism. Baptism, of course, is justification. Right. God is justifying you. He's giving you new birth. However, Luther encourages us to remember our baptism daily. Mm -hmm. That the old man is drowned daily, and the new man arises. That's a one in in baptism. So baptism, while a one time, we want to be careful that we're not Anabaptist. we're not suggesting that that uh, <laughs> that you get baptized often. <laughs> <laughs> baptize early, baptize often. 
uh, but um, babies. But, but though the event is a one-time event, the process the process is continual because we continue to sin every day. We are sanctified every day. We're not justified every day. We were justified yeah, once, once for and for all, but we're we're sanctified daily. And who does that? Again, it's God. And for some people, I mean, I, I'm thinking about the, the phrase progressive sanctification. And for some people, the ability to resist sin, the capacity to resist sin, is something like self-control is gained through practice. Exactly. That being said, there are relapses. There are people who... And so this doesn't necessarily mean, like, let's say, you know, you've, I don't want to say you've conquered a sin, but you're, uh, you've built up a resistance, you built up a resistance to the sin. And then for whatever reason, um, I was going to say the word backslide, I'm going to use the word backslide, well, but yeah, for, you fall back into the sin, you don't just fall once, you trip and fall, and then you fall and you fall again, you say, what in the world? I thought I was, you know, I thought I was free from the sin. Why am I falling back into the sin again? I thought this was something in my past. Am I not saved? Has my salvation departed now that I have fallen back into this habit of sin? Um, yeah, and, and 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 we want to be. There's always forgiveness. Forgiveness is always available. We never want to forget that, and we don't want to go over the 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 cliff and jump on cheap grace and say, "Okay, well, I can do whatever I want." Of right. course, but how you know? What does God give us again to help make our life more manageable, uh, more comfortable in this world? He gives us his his word. Of course, he gives us his law. If we pay attention to it, things are likely to go better for us than if we don't. Um, but also, you know, he uh, he gives us his word. If if we're not in touch with his word, we start to forget the promises. So being in touch with God's word, listening to him on a regular basis, that's a discipline. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you can call it practice. You can call it discipline. Discipline doesn't mean punishment. It means training. Um, you know, as you know, as as somebody in, in the service or, or as an athlete, how important training is. If you stop training, you start getting weak. You start, you know, yeah, I, I haven't yeah. trained in, in martial arts in 10 years. I've forgotten. <laughs> I've forgotten a lot. I, I, you know, I would not want to go into a match right now. I wouldn't be very good at it. But when I'm training every day, I'm, I'm, things come naturally. They come easier. Yeah. And and so, sanctification again is God's work. But the more we place ourselves where He can do that work. I, I don't know. I, I want to be careful how I yeah, put, I'm, I'm put this. To, you know, there, but there, there is. You go to the dojo. You go to yeah, you go to church. There, there is a cooperative aspect, and I think that there's a distinction between like a synergist. A synergism is more about salvation. It's more about justification. Yeah. It's synergistic justification. Is that what I'm talking about? Is that what you're talking about? But there, there is a cooperative aspect in that God prepares good works in advance for us to do and gives us the capacity to do them. But there, there is a degree in which we act out our faith where we're not yeah. completely like, once God has raised our spiritual dead bodies, we are able to move around with the life that he's given us. We can choose to throw ourselves back in the, you know, back in the grave.
But yeah, there is, I mean, once you have been justified, there is a capacity for cooperation. It's, it's limited. It's not, it's not, you know, I, me and Jesus or me and the Holy Spirit are both, you know, 50, 50 pulling a Yeah. Maybe look at it this way that, that, uh, you can enjoy sanctification the more you involve yourself in its training. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, I, 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 again, I, th- I think of, of martial arts, you know, when, when I'm, when I'm at peak, I really enjoy it. Well, you, well, it's, 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 multi, it's manifold. It, one, you enjoy it. Two, you become better at it. Three, it becomes natural to you. You gain in, in, in martial arts, you gain natural reflexes that you don't have to think about and intentionally do. Now, when you're learning those reflexes, you have to intentionally, you have to intentionally study and practice. Yep. But the more you do it, the more unintentional, the more the more natural, the more automatic, unconscious well, it, so, it becomes. Like you walked in on me, you know, this this evening, and you know, asked, "Am I rocking out?" And I said, playing no, guitar. I'm, yeah. I'm I am practicing <laughs> a riff over and over and over and over and over and over again, so that it gets in my fingers because I want it. Yeah. Uh, so so practicing. The discipline that God gives us makes available to us through the Word doesn't make us more holy, but it it it, it makes our sanctification more accessible to us. I think. Yeah, that's a good. I like that term, more accessible. Um, your ability to draw from the holiness that God has well, already given you. Yeah, and and more natural. Um, the, the the there's when Jesus talks to the disciples before he ascends, he warns them. He says, "I'm gonna, you know, you're gonna be brought before princes and rulers, and it's gonna be." I'm wildly paraphrasing right yeah. now, oh, but it, it's it's gonna be uncomfortable, yeah, to say the least. <laughs> um, but don't worry what you will say in those days, for the Holy Spirit will give you the words. Now we can really run far afield with that and misinterpret that to think that well, any situation I get in, the Holy Spirit's going to give me the words. Where is martial no. arts? Where Where do practice. the words come from? No kung fu. <laughs> well, yeah. well, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. No. You, you, I can't, I can't do. You know, I, I can't do the crane kick unless I practice it. Right. It, yeah. You're not expected. Uh, <laughs> you're not expected but, to pull a move out of thin air. So the Holy Spirit can only bring out of you what's in you <laughs> well so <laughs> I, I, I mean the words dis, disagree to to a point ordinarily yes i think that there could be an extraordinary circumstance where the holy spirit gives somebody a that prophecy yeah well a, yeah. a prophecy or the the holy spirit grants the wisdom of god to somebody say mm-hmm. somebody's kind of generally read the bible whatever but then uh in the moment they're able to recall specifically you know verbatim a bible verse that they wouldn't have the capacity to do otherwise. Now, counting on, you know, saying, "Well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to train. I'm just going to sit back and and wait for God to to do miracles to make me, you know, and make me have the words in the moment." I think that that's, I think that that's foolish. I think that's testing God in in the yeah. bad sense. But I mean, so for example, before I went to before I went to seminary. Um, I was always baffled by the people who could call up Bible verses and not just the, the phrases, but that the numbers and stuff of Bible verses. How do you, how do you memorize all these things? And memorization is, I mean, it's a perishable skill, 
But I found that the more I engage with people, specifically with specific Bible verses, the easier it is to call them up. I call up Romans 10, 17, you know, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I call it up so frequently that it is burned into my brain. It's not like it's my favorite Bible verse. It's just something that comes up a lot. John 3, 6, Psalm 23, for all the funerals and weddings and, and comforts in the hospital and everything that I do, Psalm 23 comes up so frequently um, that uh, it's just, I mean, it, it, it's, it's there, it's accessible because it's used so much. And this is one of the reasons that I think it's important for Christians to engage with one another because that's, it's like sparring, not in the sense that you're trying to hurt each other, but in the, in the, in the sense that you are, you are encouraging the other person to practice what they've learned and maybe to learn something new. You're sparring. You maybe need to learn how to block a certain punch. This is why I engage with other denominations. Uh, I, I become more familiar with God's word because of, you know, having conversations with, with people about God's word. But yeah, no. So yeah, the, I mean, the Holy Spirit gives you, gives you the words in the moment. The Holy Spirit has already given, sometimes usually gives you the words in advance too. Um, this is why it's important to, to study the Bible. Um, you know, learn hymns and songs and stuff that, that have Bible, Bible words, Bible words, Bible verses. Bible words. Them Bible words. I'm just thinking about like, like the Nunc de Menace. You, know, you, you sing the Nunc de Menace every Sunday, mm -hmm. um, and I'm thinking about a situation. If you're, you know, you're in the Gulag, and you don't have a Gideon Bible in your in your by your bed's bedside, you. It's interesting to think of how much scripture you actually you brought with with you into the Gulag. I mean, this is one of the reasons why liturgy I think is so important. Um, and, and, and practicing God's word is, is you bring that with you into, you know, into any situation you go in, you won't necessarily have a physical Bible with you, but you'll have God's word with you. That's why it's so important. I think to put God's word to music and I don't mean imaginative variations of his word. I mean, <laughs> if you have a, if you have his word in, in the form of scripture available, and you put it to music. Music is a great learning tool. Yeah, as so, strict as you can to the, I, the original. The Nuke Dominus. I, I can sing it in Spanish because, you know. I can sing it better than I can say it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's, I mean, the, the words of Christ, the words of institution, I can chant them better than I can say them because I'm so used to chanting yeah. them. Uh, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's beautiful the way that God has kind of given us his word and the capacity to remember it. Uh, in in different ways, but yeah, not everybody's musically inclined, but some are, and and mo most people learn better with music. Not everyone. Yeah, uh, I, I know a few people, including a pastor up north, can't carry tune in a bucket. <laughs> yeah, well, with that, I think we're going to wrap up uh, wrap up this episode. Um, hope you guys enjoyed this topic. Uh, God bless. Take care. <laughs>